This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Swamp 247 Podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner, and for the first time, I'm joined by Graham Hall. Graham joined us from the Gainesville Sun, officially a part of the Swamp 247 staff. Graham, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast, finally. Thanks, Jacob. It's great to be here. I know we've been talking about linking up for the first two weeks since I've really joined the team, and it's I'm glad we're able to do this. It's, it's good to be here and to talk all things Florida Gators, of course, and we have a lot to talk about here now getting back from Atlanta and the season just around the corner. So I think this is a great time as, as ever to get to know everybody. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I uh, I guess we'll just take that as an opportunity to jump right into things. Graham and I were in Atlanta for SEC Media Days. Florida uh, spoke on Wednesday. We're recording this on a Monday, July 25th. So they spoke the previous Wednesday. Uh, at SEC Media Days, it was Billy Napier, uh, quarterback Anthony Richardson, offensive lineman Richard Garage and linebacker Ventrell Miller there to represent the Gators. And Graham, I guess I'll just ask you right off the top here, what were your general takeaways from that day? I mean, we, we got to have a lot of conversations with Billy Napier, both privately and then in, in, in a more public setting. Uh, we talked to the players plenty. What, what were some of the things that stood out to you from that trip? Well, first, it really kind of felt like that the season had arrived in, in a sense here, even though we're not there yet. It, you know, the conversation has so much been about NIL and the transfer portal and when it comes to covering a first-year head coach just what the expectations really can be I think this season and getting to actually talk to the players and talk to Napier as he makes the rounds talking to national media that was just an incredible experience to see what they were going to be like in that environment and for me personally I think that this is a unique thing in a sense but I know I'm not the only one who can say this, but we've all had a chance to watch Anthony Richardson grow up, mature. I covered him when he was at Eastside High School, when I was with the Gainesville Sun, when he was a prospect, when he was first starting out. And through him being chosen for QB1 to his recruitment, which seemed to kind of go either way for a time. I mean, there was a time when he could not have ended up at Florida, despite being a commit pretty early there and, and a local kid. To see him now take center stage in Atlanta at SEC Media Days, it really does kind of feel like that this is all kind of culminating for him right now. This is kind of a make or break year for Richardson, even though this is not, of course, anywhere where his football career is going to end. But a lot of people are going to start to really take notice of him and start to form an impression of him if they haven't already had one already. And, and from everything that I heard out of him in Atlanta, it seems like he is ready to embrace the expectations and, and take command of what everything 
being a starting quarterback at Florida has to offer. And, and that's just not on the field. It's carrying yourself the right way off of it. And we've seen that process. It hasn't been perfect, but we've seen that kind of progress to this point. And I, I really thought he handled himself incredibly well. That was probably one of the first things that stood out to me in Atlanta, Jacob. Sure. And I would say that on the topic of maturity and kind of living up to expectations, we heard a lot of that, uh, you know, not only from Anthony Richardson, but also I would say from linebacker Ventrell Miller, who was in his second SEC media day representing the Gators. And he's had a long and storied career going into his sixth season. Uh, he didn't play when he was at Florida as a true freshman, as he was involved in a uh, fraud scandal that kept him off the field, comes back as a redshirt freshman, as a reserve, and then kind of progresses from there into a major starting role. And now he's a third-team All-SEC guy, which we'll talk about uh, later on in today's episode. He is a uh, Butkus Award nominee uh, on the watch list for that going into the season. Uh, we heard a lot about him just kind of maturing and taking on this extra layer of responsibility. What what did you see from him that maybe stood out to you? And just kind of what do you think about Ventrell Miller and his prospects going into the season? Another guy like Richardson that we've seen come so far throughout his time here at Florida. I mean, yeah, you talk about, I hate to bring it back up in a sense, but a lot of people initially had a bad first impression of Ventrell before they even had a chance to get to know him and see what he could be like on the field, him being involved in that off the field scandal there. A lot of players that were there at that time, no longer are with the program. Some never even made it this, you know, onto the field and a contributing capacity. And so to see him progress and overcome that and stick it out at a program, who knows? I mean, if the transfer portal was around back then, maybe he would have been looking for a fresh start elsewhere, but he embraced the not just the expectations of playing at Florida, but kind of that redemption arc in a sense. He already achieved redemption in my mind in a way. And he, he was an SEC Media Days attendee last year as well, going into the season. And you kind of got the sense that this is a guy who was a defensive leader. And then unfortunately the injury happens. And now you have this sense that this is a mature guy who really is extremely hungry and motivated. If he wasn't hungry before he's incredibly hungry going into this season because of what he kind of has already sacrificed to still be here. I mean, this is a guy who maybe isn't a prototypical NFL linebacker, but he had a chance to go in the mid rounds of the NFL draft more than a year ago. And to, to see him come back, bet on himself and, and try and improve at Florida, I think it's just something that a lot of Florida fans can get behind, but also it's a storyline that you just love to see for players when they, kind of leave that paycheck on the table, come back, bet on themselves and, and want to end things the right way. I know a lot of players from last season, just the six and seven finish at, at just that were motivated to come back. But when you factor in that Ventrell had to watch those final, what, 11 games from the sideline as he uh, couldn't be out there with the team, knowing that their ceiling had dropped with him not being there. I mean, that alone was motivation for him to return and forego that NFL paycheck once again. So I, I think that you see this very hungry Ventrell Miller, but I think that what also came out was his humility. This is a guy who smiles, is respectful, uses great manners. Um, he, he's not someone who is going to talk about things even that he doesn't feel qualified to talk about, whether it's the number one jersey or what an opponent may be doing and how they run their program. Um, you just get this respectful vibe from him and uh, it's hard not to root for him as a person when you get to know him in my mind. Sure. And I think it's also important to note that there really is an onus to perform on his shoulders going into this season, just with that inside linebacker unit looking pretty thin 
if off the top of my head, I believe it's seven scholarship players on Florida's roster right now. That number goes down to four uh, for 2023 with Ventrell Miller being one of several guys who don't have eligibility beyond this season. Uh, it, it sounds like he's well aware of this, the, the depth issue. I don't know that he ever fully said that there was an issue with the depth of the position. Like you said, I think that he uh, is, has that respectful mentality of not necessarily commenting on things that he doesn't have the place to comment on. But it is clear from any who are observing that that unit is ailing when it comes to its numbers. And it's going to come down to whether or not Ventrell Miller can come back to the performance that he had in 2020, for example, when he led Florida's roster with 88 total tackles. And if that can return, I think that it gives Florida a good shot with a guy in the middle who's capable of rushing the quarterback. Something he said that this defense is having him do much more of relative to what he did under Todd Grantham. Sounds like Patrick Tony is putting him in a position that he finds a lot more favorable for himself personally. And so it sounds like things are stacking up for Ventrell Miller to have a, a relatively positive season if everything can go well from him in terms of just finding the right fit in the defense, but also being able to stay healthy, which other than the torn bicep, he really does have a history of doing. Yeah, I really wouldn't be surprised even at times to see him come off the edge this season. I, I, I think that you look at how he's even physically matured. He's gotten stronger, um, widened his frame. I, I think that you look at what he could play at and provide a team at the next level. Uh, it would behoove him in a sense to get some more experience uh, on the line of scrimmage in my mind. I, I think that, yeah, the numbers thing is incredibly interesting between him and Amari Bernie. That's an incredible amount of production. Absolutely. But when you look at the guys behind them, Derek Wingo, Dewan Black just came over from star position last season, kind of learning an entirely new role. What can you expect behind them is a huge question mark if they're going to be able to even use Ventrell Miller because of the, you know, on the edge because of the numbers standpoint. That is a huge thing in my mind. So I think this is a guy who understands the benefits of coming back, but there are some serious question marks. Absolutely. They, they probably were begging him to come back because of the experience at the position, the numbers. And if he goes down again, that unit is in a whole lot of trouble in my mind. Absolutely. And I think one more question I have for you with regard to me today before we move on to our next topic is, was there anything that you might have left Atlanta still wondering? Was there something that you wanted to get an answer to when you got there and you left thinking to yourself, I really don't know any more than I did when I drove from Gainesville to Atlanta? Was there anything that you felt was still on the table? And was there anything maybe that you learned that was new that has kind of informed an opinion or perspective as we get closer here to preseason camp? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I still haven't really gotten, and, and maybe to quote Billy Napier, that this is above their pay grade, but I really haven't gotten a sense from any of the SEC head coaches where they feel about the proposed conference realignment. Because we've heard the SEC right now is going to stand pat. But if you're the coach of Texas A&M or Missouri, and you joined this conference a decade ago because of realignment and expansion, how could you be against it right now? Because it's what has allowed you to benefit from, from your current status, let's call it that. So I, I see this kind of situation where a lot of coaches are maybe hesitant to speak about expansion and the current state of everything outside the game. I, li I like using the term that we're in the eye of the storm in a sense, because so much outside the conversations that were happening at media days are just this craziness swirling around NIL transfer portal, conference realignment, mega conferences, college football playoff expansion, you name it. I mean, we got back and they started talking about eliminating the one-time transfer rule where players now can 
transfer freely. That's going to the council right now. So you're seeing so much change in a day-to-day that I really didn't get a sense how any of the coaches felt about all this stuff. And, and maybe that's for the best because you don't want to be someone who ha- you know sticks their foot in their mouth and comes out and says anything against realignment or sure. against expansion. And then two years here, we're talking about adding four more teams possibly. And, right. and now you have to be in favor of that increased competi- competition. One more thing I wanted to hear re- regarding the topic of playing a nine-game conference schedule. I, I think that that topic is one that is too important to kind of let die down. It was something that Dan Mullen talked about a lot playing nine conference games and to hear Kirby smart really, I think complain about their schedule. He's in a place to do that right now, but a lot of other coaches are not in a place to do that. So I I was actually thinking that some would speak out here and voice their thoughts on expanding one more SEC game to the schedule. um, Just given that was a huge topic in 2020 and 2021, given the finances after the pandemic, you still would think that there'd be a lot of schools pressing for that. And I'm kind of surprised that we didn't see more of that raised here in Atlanta. Sure. And just one thing I'll add, I know that uh, people who listen to this podcast have probably heard about this plenty elsewhere. Um, I think the big thing for me as it pertains directly to Florida was actually, I have more questions about NIL. And I don't think that that's a byproduct of Billy Napier not answering questions. I actually think he did a fine job and I will say overall, I, I, I always have enjoyed and continued to do so. Uh, our opportunities to talk with Billy Napier, I do think that he you know, is thorough when it comes to answering certain questions, and he does do a good job of addressing the media and kind of winning the press conference. I know it's an overused term, but I do think he does it. Uh, I, I do still wonder, though, kind of where Florida stands on the NIL front. And I think that that's one of the areas that is difficult for Billy Napier to really address because you, you never know what you can and can't say, you know, what can get you into trouble and what can't. Uh, but it does create questions for me. You know, you wonder about the the status of Florida recruiting moving forward because, as we know and we've seen, NIL is just going to dominate that space. And in order for teams to be successful on the recruiting landscape, you need to be successful in the finances at this point. Uh, and I, I do still wonder where Florida stands. And Billy Napier did say that they're still learning. And, and that's one of the things that's going on constantly just with the way that the landscape is changing, A, but also B, uh, with with state legislature and just the rules that they have to follow uh, being a, a Florida school. So it, just a very interesting topic. Uh, I think that it's not that it wasn't commented on enough. I actually think it was commented on too much, but it always does generate more questions for me. So that is my uh, big thing that I felt like I was missing. And with that, I think we are ready to move on to our next subject within the podcast. And that is the preseason all SEC teams. Graham, both you and I had a vote Uh, We had a say in this one. Florida placed five players across all three teams that were announced on Friday. Uh, Osiris Torrance, offensive lineman transfer from Louisiana, was Florida's lone first-team player. Uh, Linebacker Brenton Cox was named to the second team. And safety Trey Dean, linebacker Ventrell Miller, excuse me, and defensive lineman Javon Dexter, all on the third team. I will ask you uh, broadly, what was your reaction to where each of those Florida players were placed? And the follow-up I have for you, Graham, was there somebody who you felt should have been included and did not make the cut? That's a good question. I think that when you talk about, we'll start with Osiris Torrance. Um, I'm going to get back to this point here in a little bit, but a lot of respect given to Torrance in my mind. I'm 
of the belief that he's going to be extremely good for the Gators, but I think there's a lot of people now expecting him to come in and just be inserted and go against SEC competition weekly and have the same level of contribution making... I think that just is extremely difficult in my mind to believe right now. I think that's a whole lot of respect to put someone on the first team when they've never played a snap in the SEC. But maybe that's the level of play that a lot of people are expecting out of Torrance this year. It just is so strange to me in my mind to see transfer players immediately added as this kind of plug-and-play type scenario and say that they're instantly going to be a first-team, all-SEC type guy. I think it is absolutely possible, but there's a lot of people talking about it being an expectation. And those two things are incredibly different. Is it possible that Osiris Torrance is one of the best offensive linemen in the SEC this season? Absolutely. But to rank him over other guys who have already contributed and are, are, are performing at that level already, and we have tape against them uh, of them against SEC talent, I, I just think that in my mind, there's a little bit higher level of respect given to those guys. And, and while I did vote Torrance as one of the top offensive linemen in my mind, I did just kind of hesitate to put him there. But I, I can see that I was in the majority for putting him there. A lot of people expect him, rightfully so, I think, to have a great season for Florida. Ventrell Miller making the third team in my mind, I think that also is kind of reflective of the groupings. Let's say that because Brenton Cox Jr. was listed in this broad category of line linebacker it wasn't just or, or outside linebacker you were looking at between a bunch of guys who could play at on the edge or, or inside I I mean it was a tough thing to pick from and I picked Brenton Cox on the first team at linebacker because I, I think that he is but Ventrell Miller hardly he just barely made the cut for me and that had me certainly conflicted at that position so good to see that he actually got onto one of the teams for a, I think a lot of people to explain the process to them, you're really kind of picking two thirds of the teams. You only get two selections for some position. And for linebacker, we were allowed to pick eight guys, even though 12 ended up making the team. So you know that there's going to be people left off who are going to end up making it. So there's a little bit more parity there. But Ventrell, obviously one of the, the guys that was included there. But as you can see, him making the third team must have been outside the top eight vote getters right there. So a tough scenario right away. Um, and then Jervon Dexter, I, I think he is going to have a fantastic season. I think that the stats back that up. It was tough to play interior defensive line um, in Grantham's scheme. I think that you're going to see him just have a much um, higher ability to contribute this season. Uh, if they can figure out the other depth issues at interior defensive line, I, I think that he's going to be fine this year because that's a guy who is incredibly talented. So good to see the rest of the SEC agrees with that and in terms of who was left off for me that was an interesting question i was hoping to see some people give a little bit more respect to either justin shorter and going back to my first point maybe the the ricky pearsall addition is flying a little bit under the radar i think you and i both agree how big of a contributor he could be for florida this season but if osiris torrance is getting first team consideration and this means no disrespect to torrance in any way but if he's getting first team consideration i think that there are some people who could make an argument that ricky could be an incredibly valuable contributor for florida's offense this season and he wasn't even included i i believe Maybe, Jacob, you remember him being there, but I don't think he was even included as a possible selection. He he was a selection. You could have, yeah. Was he, he a selection was, choice? Yeah. See, when it came to him as an option, 
maybe people just don't expect him to be able to come in and contribute at that at, at that high of a level this season. But I think that you and I kind of have a different impression in that. So I, I would give him some votes there at wide receiver, even though we're, there's some incredibly talented options there. I wouldn't say he would be a first or second team guy, but you could make a case for him that I think he could be a third team guy um, in the SEC. Sure. I, you know, actually, I, I will offer a, a, a disagreeing opinion here. I, I actually think that Osiris Torrance is a perfect candidate for the first team. Uh, full disclosure, I, that was one of my votes. I, I had him as one of my top offensive linemen uh, in the conference. Uh, I, I fully intended on trying to cast my vote in a direction that would try and get him towards the first team. Um, he was far and away, in my opinion, Florida's best offensive lineman throughout the spring. And it wasn't even particularly close, in my opinion. Uh, just his ability to, you know, physically, he he looks the part, but I also think that he has the mindset. I think that he puts his skills on display regularly. There's a consistency to his game that I think is really valuable. And we have seen him perform, albeit in the Sun Belt. Uh, we have seen him perform at a top-notch level. I think that if he had chosen to forego one more season of, of playing college football, I absolutely think that he would have gotten drafted last year, uh, similar to his former teammate, Max Mitchell, who he played alongside, who's now playing for the New York Jets, a fourth round pick. Uh, I, I, I do think that he was a very reasonable selection to be at or near the top of the SEC among offensive linemen. And I think that he's proven that despite having not played in the SEC. Um, as far as Ricky Pearsall goes, I will say that I think that he has played uh, in the Pac-12 and has not demonstrated the same uh, potential and or skill set as Osiris Torrance. And let me be clear. I don't think that that means that Ricky Pearsall is a bad player. I actually think he's quite good. Uh, you can go back on our YouTube page and find the podcast shortly after he announced his transfer to Florida, uh, where I say, you know, no, in no uncertain terms that Ricky Pearsall is a very good addition for this Florida team. I do think he has a major opportunity to contribute, but I also just don't think that he's proven himself in the same way that Osiris Torrance has. Uh, Torrance was an all-conference guy. He's somebody that NFL teams were looking at closely. Uh, Ricky Pearsall still has something to prove. And I do think that by the end of the season, it's entirely possible that he ends up on one of these lists. I just don't think that I would have been comfortable, and I didn't, selecting him to be a part of the preseason all-conference teams due to that, uh, you know, the difference between those two players. I will say this. I do think Jervon Dexter was too low. Uh, I think that he has proven his ability to succeed in this conference. I think that there are a lot of people who would tell you that he has first-run NFL draft potential, if not second round. Um, I, I think that he deserves a little more respect in third team. I, I think he's probably a candidate for a second team consideration, which is roughly where I had him. But generally, I think that this was the right group of guys. I think that uh, the media got it right. Uh, this was a reasonable group of five people. The only person who I think might have been a snub was Anthony Richardson. And granted, you can make the case that he split time last year. We really don't know what we're going to get. Uh, but I would say the same to a degree for Will Levis, who was the third team selection at quarterback. I, and, and granted, he is slightly more proven. Uh, he has shown what he's capable of doing. Uh, but I would say that Richardson is 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 just as much a mystery at this point. And I, I, I did have Richardson as my third team quarterback. Uh, and so I would say that he was maybe the closest thing to a snub in my mind. Yeah, I, I went with a really interesting option as my second choice at quarterback in KJ Jefferson out of Arkansas. If you saw my picks, I posted them on Swamp 247. You can check them out there. I showed everyone I picked. You know, Trey Dean is someone we haven't really talked about, the, the fifth guy who made 
the all SEC teams from the Gators. And I thought that was kind of a surprise in my mind. I, I know that people have high expectations for him, but I didn't really think he really played at an incredibly high level last season and has really bounced around at several positions. He played corner his first season. He's played star. Now he's at safety. I think that we, we really don't know how good Trey Dean can be. And, and he just is um, someone that I wasn't comfortable putting as one of my selections. You know, that's another position we haven't talked about. Defensive back, having corners, nickels, and safeties all grouped together in one position group for the voting made it, I think, extremely difficult. And this may be a little bit controversial here in a sense, but I went with someone who I haven't seen get any discussion for someone who could be uh, an underrated corner, let's call that, in the SEC this season, and that's Jason Marshall Jr. I put him as number eight on my list of defensive backs over Trey Dean. I really think that he's going to have a season that surprises a lot of people. Former five-star guy. I know a lot of people are incredibly high on him, but Florida has a chance, I think, to get back on the track of being DBU. And it really starts with his production, I think, at the number one corner spot, if he does lock it down here in preseason camp, which in my opinion, I know he'll have a lot of competition, but I think that he has the talent to do that. And I think that with Dean playing at safety, it's wide open for him to take that over. So I went with Jason Marshall Jr. just as kind of a preseason dark horse candidate, let's call it that, um, at defensive back. Sure. Let's move on to a subject that if this one didn't get you as a Florida fan uh, a little riled up, I think this one might. Uh, Florida picked to finish fourth in the SEC East, did not receive a first-place vote. Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee uh, all selected to finish one through three. Florida, again, with that fourth-place preseason prediction in the SEC media poll. Once again, Graham, you and I did have a vote. Uh, I'll start with the transparency right off the top before I even throw it to you. I picked Florida to finish third uh, in the East, and I will let you explain where you put Florida and why, and I will come back to myself and, and explain my selection in a minute. I picked Florida fourth. I just wasn't ready to pick them higher than that, and it really comes down to just where the other teams are in front of them, as well as the season schedule. Having to go to Tennessee, I, I know you you play Kentucky at home this season, but those quarterbacks, where they're at right now, the stability of their program, I know that Tennessee is is going through it um, in the news as well, but I just, I had a difficult time picking Florida higher than fourth. I think that it's going to be incredibly close, anywhere from two to fourth, and I know people are going to come at me for picking them fourth, but I ultimately went with fourth for Florida, and as you can see now that uh, I wasn't alone, that was definitely the consensus. Absolutely. And I would just say that, you know, uh, I don't have much to add on to that. I wasn't terribly far off from your pick. I went with four, third instead of fourth. And the one thing I will say is that I really did struggle. And I wrote this. Uh, I really did struggle with two through four. I, I think that you kind of could have picked it out of a hat uh, where you thought Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida would finish. Um, I do think it's close. You know, you, you, you can't submit a ballot with a maybe. You have, to, you have to put every team in a spot. And, you know, with that being said, I think that I felt most comfortable putting Florida third, but I can absolutely see an argument that Florida finishes with the second best record in the SEC East. I don't think anybody's arguing with Florida being below Georgia. That's a team that's going to contend for another national championship, but I can absolutely see an argument that Florida is the better team than Tennessee or Florida is the better team than Kentucky or in any other particular order that you can think of. I do think it's close. Uh, like you said, I, I think that the edge for me was that Florida has to go on the road to face Tennessee. And I know that there's a history of Florida playing quite well against the Volunteers. Uh, I do like Hendon Hooker a lot. 
Uh, I think he's a, a tremendous quarterback. He was my second team all SEC selection. And I believe he actually was the second team quarterback, if I remember correctly. Um, and so, you know, I, I think for me, it just came down to having to put Florida and the other two teams in a spot. Uh, again, I will reiterate, I do think it's close. Uh, I said on our message board, and, and, you know, I would encourage everybody who's listening to this to subscribe if you aren't. Um, I did put on our message board that I, I, I thought Florida was, was as reasonable a pick for second as it was for fourth, but I did predict uh, them to finish with a four and four record in SEC play. I'll let you subscribe to the site to see which games I think that they lose. Uh, and with that, Graham, I'll ask you this, you know, is there any other final thoughts you have with SEC media days behind us? We're getting ready to get into preseason camp players report. And there's a little Florida media day on August 2nd with practices starting soon thereafter. Any thoughts? Oh, I'm just ready for the season. You know, this was just a little bit of a taste to get you excited in my mind for what is coming down the pipeline. I think when you talk about the storylines of the season, there is going to be, in my mind, when it comes to dominating the conversation, you talk about Florida having a very tough opening month for the Billy Napier era, and the preparation leading up to it is going to be incredibly interesting, how they're doing things, how confident they th think that they are heading into that Utah matchup. And then you go in to that Kentucky game and you have a potential, the possibility of starting 0-2 there. Um, and I, I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear heading in. One more note I have to add about Tennessee. You, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there, Jacob. This is a Florida team that has beat the Volunteers 15 of the last 16 tries, right? So anytime you come out and say that I think that Florida is going to finish behind them in the SEC, you're kind of predicting Florida to lose. And, and I, I don't think necessarily that's what's going to happen. I think that the Volunteers just right now with Hendon Hooker having established himself more than Anthony Richardson has in a starting capacity, I think that you do just have to give a little bit uh, of credence there and some respect there. I, it's no surprise that the teams that are ahead of Florida right now have established quarterbacks. And I think a lot of people, especially Florida fans, are confident in what they have in Anthony Richardson that these rankings can change based on his level of play. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning. I got the sense from him that he's poised, ready, mature. He, he knows what the role of starting quarterback requires at the University of Florida. And if he actually goes out there and lives that out and plays to the level that I think a lot of Florida fans think that he can play at, I absolutely could see Florida contending for the number two spot in the SEC East. That's not... It's not out of the question in my mind whatsoever. I think it's going to be incredibly close, like I said, and I would love to eat a little bit of crow here in a few months when when or if Florida finishes as number two in the SEC East, if that's what happens, because certainly right now I have been a little more hesitant to commit that to this overnight rebuild that a lot of people are hoping for. Um, but it certainly is possible if Richardson plays at the level that we all know that he's capable of living up to. Absolutely. And I will close with this. We have plenty of content coming over at swamp247.com. So make sure you head on over there for lots of coverage. Just to give you a quick preview, uh, Florida Friday Night Lights uh, recruiting is this weekend. We're recording this again on a Monday, uh, and that will be here soon. I will be joined by Blake Alderman for another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast at some point this week, which you should look out for not only on YouTube, but on all audio platforms wherever you stream your podcasts. Uh, plenty of written content coming as well. Again, Florida's preseason camp is coming up and we will have that covered not only 
there in person, but also before it, we have plenty of stuff planned uh, for you guys. So it's an exciting time to be a Florida fan, I think. And uh, make sure you check us out again at swamp247.com. For Graham Hall, I'm Jacob Rudner. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.